Father, we love you so much, and God, we're just so thankful that you love us. We're so thankful for your faithfulness to us, Lord. Lord, we're thankful that your faithfulness doesn't depend on our faithfulness to you. Lord, that you pour out your grace and your mercy on us, Lord, undeservingly. Lord, you've given us life and breath and the ability to move today. And Lord, I just pray that we would acknowledge that before you this evening. Lord, we'd be very careful to be sure that you receive all the glory for what we have accomplished today. Lord, we thank you that you have kept us safe today in the weather. And Lord, we pray for those tonight who have uh, experienced loss or who um, are hurting this evening because of the effects of the weather, Lord. And we know that there were some people in our county that, that died today because of the weather. Lord, we just lift their families up to you, Lord, and pray that your peace would uh, surround them. Father, that you would bring them uh, hope, Lord, that there is a resurrection if they knew Christ. And Lord, I just pray that, um, Lord, you would just keep us mindful, Lord, that everything we are and everything we do, uh, Lord, is because you are actively present in our lives. Lord, everything that we set our hands and our hearts to that is of value, Lord, comes through your grace. Lord, even in the time we have to gather this evening, Lord, to study your word, Lord, it is because you have given us a mind to think. And so, Lord, I ask that you'd open that mind tonight. Lord, allow us to receive your word and to understand it correctly. Lord, I pray that you would uh, speak through me to preach it correctly. Lord, I pray that you'd also just open up our hearts. Lord, to receive it and to apply the word, Father, so that we will be changed and you will be glorified even more in us. So, Lord, just take this time, Lord, use it, anoint it. Father, may your Holy Spirit fall on this place and uh, have your way. All for your glory and honor. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, yes, sir. Oh, Lord, I don't know. Hey, new couple. I've seen you before. No, they're old friends. That's Melvin. He embarrasses people. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Thank you for pointing that out. So, welcome. Good to see you all this evening. So, we're going to continue uh, with our study uh, on the topic of prayer this evening. We're going through the Sermon on the Mount, and we've come to uh, the place where Jesus is teaching us about prayer. And so, last week we spent a lot of time talking about the subject of prayer and. And really, we, we talked a lot about the difficulties that kind of are associated with prayer. We, we understand the necessity of it, right? But we also recognize how hard it can be. It's hard to pray. Uh, especially, um, it's hard to pray uh, effectively, and it's hard to pray correctly. And Jesus starts off this topic of prayer uh, by talking about some don'ts, right? And he actually talks about some things that we're not supposed to do. And so his teaching on prayer in this passage is not so much about structure or procedure, rather it's about the motive behind our prayer. Why in the world do we even need to pray? Um, if you remember, uh, Jesus has kind of introduced us in, in, to this new section about our hearts. The Sermon on the Mount is meant to show us a couple of things. What the expectations are to get into the kingdom. Right? Here's what kingdom people look like. And also to show us that man, we're not getting there. Outside of Christ. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 46 of chapter 5 says that you must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. So we know right off the bat that we can't become kingdom people on our own. 
But, but there's things that must change as Christ works in our life. And so we talked about our actions and our attitudes, but now Jesus is pushing it deeper into the motive of our heart. What's your motive look like? Why are you doing the things you do? And he uses three examples to show us where our motives are. Three religious or righteous practices that we are to um, exercise as Christians. The first one is giving to the poor. And he, he wants us to ask ourselves, why do we do that? Why do we give to the poor? And he tells us, do it in such a way that your, uh, your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing, right? We talked about that connotation is, it's like having a bunch of money in your pocket and you're sticking your hand in there and grabbing a handful and giving it out. You don't keep tabs on how you give, right? And you certainly don't do it so that others will notice you and give you praise because then that is all the rewards you're going to get. And then he goes on to talk about prayer. Why do we pray? And so... Um, we're really looking at the motives behind why we do the things that we do. And so one of the things that we talked about last week, one way of simplifying um, our motives is to ask one basic question. When we do these righteous acts, the question is this. Am I practicing this act so that people will notice me or Jesus? That's, that's the filter that should be in our hearts when we do these acts of righteousness. Who are we trying to portray? Who are we trying to reflect? Myself? Or Christ? Do I, do I give to the poor so that people will praise me? Or do I give to the poor so that Jesus and his character is seen through my actions? Right? There's a big difference. Um, one thing we need to see about these acts of righteousness is that we don't do these deeds just to show Jesus off, which is one of the reasons we do reflect Christ by our good deeds. But we talked about these acts of righteousness are actually meant to be acts of worship. They're also uh, tests of our obedience to Christ. Let me give you an example of that. The way we give, the way we pray, the way we fast says a lot about how we view God. Right? We're going to talk about that tonight as we pray. The way you pray has a huge bearing on how you view God. And so the way that we do things shows us and shows others how much we value Christ and how much He is a part of our lives. And so... Um, do we do these things so that he will get the glory? If we do that, then that's worship, right? Worship is showing, showing the world and showing God how much he's worth. And, and so if we do these things so that God receives the glory, it's an act of worship, but it's also uh, a reflection of our obedience. By practicing these um, three things correctly and in the right motive, what we're saying is that I have submitted to the authority of Christ in my life. I'm going to do it for him, and I'm going to do it his way so that he receives the glory. So I'm going to give with no strings attached. I'm going to pray correctly, and I'm going to fast with the right motivation, right? So prideful prayer and giving with one eye open, so to speak, and fasting for the wrong reasons doesn't accomplish the motives that Jesus is after. So the point of these three examples is to show us where our heart is, and that's what I want us to see Man, where's your heart in doing all these things? In practicing these acts of righteousness, are you putting yourself in the right perspective and are you putting Christ in the right perspective? Here's the great thing about these things, though. God is so great and he's so good to us that as we practice these things, these acts of righteousness in the right, from the right motive and the right heart, man, we benefit from them. We don't do it for the benefits, Right? But man, in his grace, he allows us to, to reap some great, great benefits from doing these things. It feels good to give, doesn't it? We talked about that, right? 
We don't give solely for the, for the feeling that we get, but man, he allows us to feel, feel good about it. And there's a purpose in that because the better we feel about ourselves as we give, the more it spurs us on to continue to do good things. Not for ourselves and for our sakes, but for the sake of Christ. So tonight, uh, we're going to take a little bit more time. We're going to take a few weeks actually to go through the Lord's Prayer because there's a lot of things that we need to, uh, to hit and to understand and study and so Jesus takes more time on this act of righteousness, and so uh, we are too. Um, prayer doesn't just accomplish worship and show our obedience like the other acts do. It does that, of course, but it goes much further. Prayer plays an incredible, uh, important, incredibly important role in our life. It's our main connection to God, right? We talked about last week that prayer is probably the most vital uh, and most powerful Thing that Christians possess, but it's also one of the most untapped resources we have. And so um, we, we're going to talk about tonight why it's so important. It, 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 co- it connects us to God. It's how we communicate with God. Listen, we can read our Bibles to know God. We, we can study his word, but if we do not converse with him, we have no way of knowing uh, how he feels about us. We have no way of knowing um, what our relationship looks like with him. I had a wise pastor tell me this one time, and I wrote it down in my Bible, and I still have it today in my office. Very simple. It's absolutely impossible to have a personal relationship with somebody you don't talk to. Simple, but how true, right? You cannot have a personal relationship with someone that you don't talk to. I cannot claim Laura as my wife if I never talk to her. But man, isn't that how we kind of treat God sometimes? We, we base our relationship with him on associations, right? I go to church. I hang out with Christian people, right? And so we think that that means that we have this vibrant relationship with Christ when reality, in reality, we're just associated with people who follow Christ. Now, our relationship with Jesus hinges upon our communication with Jesus, and so the point is that prayer is vital in the life of, Christ, of Christians. All other disciplines kind of hinge upon our ability to commune and communicate with God. I quoted this last week, but I want to reiterate it tonight. D.L. Moody has a, a quote that I have hanging in my office. And we all know who D.L. Moody is, right? One of the greatest preachers in America uh, who ever lived. He says, I would rather uh, be able to pray than to be a great preacher. Jesus never taught his disciples how to preach, but only how to pray. You know, my preaching is greatly affected by the way I pray. If I feel like I can do this on my own, I don't need to consult God, and I don't need his intercession on my behalf, um, you're going to get me. That's not very exciting. I'm going to lie to you. I'm going to tell you things that aren't true. I'm going to lead you the wrong way. The way I preach greatly hinges upon how I pray. And so that's exactly what this passage deals with tonight. Jesus recognized the importance of prayer so much that he took this time to specifically teach us how to pray. And so that's what I want us to look at. We've coined it as the Lord's Prayer, right? Um, Jesus teaching us how to pray. But here's the thing. What we're getting ready to study is really just a template. Uh, The words themselves aren't where the power lies in this prayer. Uh, we, we have all been guilty of committing the sin that Jesus talked about in the previous passage of, of vain repetition. 
How many of you have just have grown up saying the Lord's Prayer? Um, I played sports, and we did it before every practice and every game, right? And it's, it, it sounded like some monks chanting almost. It's like, oh, you know, there was no meaning in it. There was no heart in it. And we were guilty of committing sin, right? And so the point is that Jesus is not saying, if you pray this prayer, everything's going to go great with you. It's not about the mere words. It's about the motive and what he's teaching us about God in this prayer. And so that's what we're going to talk about. And so it's broken up. This template is broken up into several different parts. Um, there's the, the person of God that's addressed in this prayer. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And then he moves into the power and position of God. And then the petitions that we are to take before God in prayer. And so that's kind of what we're going to focus on for the next few weeks. And so tonight we're just going to focus on this first part, the person of God that we are praying to. So Matthew chapter 6. Verses uh, 9 through 15. I'm going to read the passage and then go back and unpack these verses for us this evening. Jesus said, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. As we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Here's the first thing I want you to notice. Verse 9. Jesus says, I want you to pray like this. He doesn't say, I want you to pray this prayer, right? And now, there's nothing wrong with praying the Lord's Prayer verbatim, Right? Um, Martin Luther has a great little book that I would encourage you to get um, about praying the Lord's Prayer. And, and it's, it's wonderful. Um, but praying the Lord's Prayer just for the sake of praying it does not accomplish what God wants us to accomplish in prayer. The meaning and the motive goes much deeper than this. So Jesus is saying, pray with these things in mind. That's what he means when he says, pray like this. I want you to pray with these things in mind. And the first thing that we're to, to think about when we're praying is who we're praying to. I know that kind of goes without saying, but man, when's the last time you thought about who you're praying to? That's what this prayer focuses our minds on. He says, here's who you're praying to. Our Father. Man, this is a great phrase. This is the first time in, in the New Testament, uh, and in Scripture really, that God is referred to not only as Father, but as our Father. Um, it's the, the, the Hebrew, or the Aramaic, excuse me, um, Abinu, which is the plural for Abba, Daddy. It's an intimate form of the word. Up until this point, no one, no one in Scripture had referred to God this way, right? Um, the Hebrews, the Jewish people, did not look at God like this. Now, there's something I want to point out before we talk about Father. He says, our Father. Jesus is very intentional and very careful to use the right pronoun when he's referring to God. Let me give you an example. Um, in 6, 14, and 15, he's talking about the forgiveness of sins. And when he's talking about the forgiveness of sins, how does he refer to God? Your Father. Now, why might he do that? 
Why might he, when he's talking about the issue of sin and the forgiveness of sin, refer to God as your father? Because that doesn't pertain to Jesus, right? He's sinless. There's no, he does not have that relationship with the father where the father must forgive him of sins. So you see, he's very careful to say, when you deal with God as the forgiver of your sins, it's your father. Uh, Matthew chapter 11, he, he talks about um, my father. It's exclusively my father because that passage is talking about the sonship of Christ and the authority that's given to Christ because he is the son of God. Now, why would that exclude us? We're, not We're heirs with Christ, but we don't have the sonship. We don't have the authority that the, that the son has, right? So my father has imparted this authority to me. So here's what he's saying with our father. He's not lumping himself in this prayer. Here's what he's saying. Our Father means that we, as a collective body of believers, are to pray this prayer together. This is a, a, the type of prayer that we're to pray when we are gathered in fellowship with one another. Our praying to God is not limited to this structure. However, when we are gathered together, we talked about last week how, how corporate prayer is beneficial, but it has its place. And so when we are gathered corporately, we are to pray this way to keep us from committing the sins that Jesus talked about uh, in the previous passage. So he says, our Father is this type of prayer that we are to come before God together and we're to approach Him as Abba, Daddy. It's this intimate relationship that we have. Jews didn't talk about God in this way. They, were, they feared being uh, guilty of blasphemy if they were to refer to God this way. God was a consuming fire. He was unapproachable in the eyes of the Jewish people. Now imagine, remember who's the audience that Matthew's primarily writing to here? Jews. And so when, when they hear Jesus talk about God as Father and our Father, man, that perked them up a little bit. What's the significance of this? Most Jews referred to God as what? Elohim or Jehovah, Right? Those are terms of, that, that talk about God's title, right? But what was God's name in Old Testament? What was his name? Yahweh. 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 You know, even today, Jews don't like to spell his name. If they do, they leave out um, certain parts of it, right? Or they just refer to him as Elohim. Because it's easier to talk about God from his title than it is his person. To the Hebrews, to the Jews, God is not an approachable God. And so Jesus is breaking down these walls here for us by saying, because of me, we have access to God as our Father. And it's an intimate relationship. And there's great significance to calling God Abba. It's a closeness. He's approachable. But here's what I want you to see about this. Um, while calling God Abba does reflect his personal character and nature, it's a huge aspect to our prayer. We've got to be careful that we don't allow it to change our approach to God. The temptation here is that as we approach God like our daddy, with anticipation and intimacy and love, we are tempted to then bring God down on our level. And so here's what he's saying. God is a God who loves you. 
but he's still God. And you can approach him as daddy. You can approach him as the one who does want to meet with you, but he's not your peer. You have to be clear to make that distinction. You can approach this God and crawl up in his lap, but remember, he's God. And the next part of this uh, of this prayer leads us to see that. To, to confide in God as our Father doesn't mean we diminish His authority. You've got to remember that. Even though we confide in Him, we've got to remember who He is. And that's what Jesus is pointing to right here. So it goes on, our Father who is in heaven. Probably one of the most overlooked, part, overlooked parts of this prayer. We, we know He's in heaven, right? God is just in heaven. How many times have you really thought about that? That phrase, our Father who is in heaven. What's the significance of that phrase? Here's what we need to understand. As I just said, our prayers are a great way to determine or see how we view God. If we view God as a genie, our prayers will be made up of what? Wishes, Wishes, right? Bless me, help me, do this for me, right? It kind of looks like a big laundry list of to-dos for God, right? If we view God as this angry old man, who's just up there waiting to strike us down when we do something wrong, what will our prayers look like or sound like? A lot of confession, a lot of, a lot of pleading, but not a lot of intimacy, not a lot of confiding, right? The way we view God is reflected in the way we pray to God. But these first two verses play an important role in helping us clearly understand this God who we're praying to. So God is Father, He's Abba, and it's a reminder that we share this commonality with one another, that he is our daddy collectively, but he is a father who is in heaven. This is to focus our minds and hearts on God's place. He is in heaven, which indicates that he is ruling over all things, right? When we talk about heaven, we refer to it as where? Up there, right? He is seated on his throne up there. Now, of course, we know God is everywhere, but his throne, and we'll talk about this in a minute, his throne is in heaven. And so that signifies that he is over all things. Now, why is that encouraging to us? Here's why this is encouraging. We don't ever have to worry about praying over God's head. We, we don't ever have to worry that there is a request or there is a concern that is too lofty or too big for God to address. Our Father who is in heaven, tells us that he is in control over every concern that we have. I want you to think about this for just a minute. Um, I want you to think about what you tend to pray for on a regular basis. Some of us, if we're sick, we pray for health. Some of us, if we have family or children who are away from us, we pray for, for safety. You know, um, Some of us may be praying for a lost loved one. But all of those things that, we're pray, that we pray for on a daily basis, even the deepest concerns of our heart, all those things are aspects of created things. I want you to think about that. All the things that we pray for, all the burdens of our heart are just aspects of created things. And who's the creator of those things? God. That child, our bodies, all those things were made by God, and He holds those things together. And so when we look at it that way, it puts our prayers in the right perspective. That We're not asking anything that's too hard 
are too tough for God. We're not asking God to do anything that He's not already aware of. We are simply saying, our Father who is in heaven, we, we understand, we acknowledge that you are above these things, you're in control of these things. From car wrecks to cancer cells, you know about them, you are the creator of our lives, you are the sustainer of our lives, and you are in control of these things. Jesus is focusing our minds on where God is seated, and it's above all of our stuff. It should be encouraging for us. Not only is it encouraging, but it does wonders for our faith, right? We got to pray, what, in faith, right? Doesn't do any good to pray if we don't believe that our prayers do any good, right? Um, James 1, 5, 8 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, because he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So, so here's what we've got to do. And here's how viewing God as in heaven, seated on his throne in heaven, here's what this does. It, it helps us get to the place where when we pray, we believe that we're being heard by God. But not only are we being heard by God, but that God, um, the God that we're praying to is able to answer perfectly. So that when I pray to him, I'm not having to say the right words. There's no magic potion for me to pour on my prayer. I know that when I bring it before the Lord, he's going to do what he's going to do with it, and it's going to be right. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be as his will. We're going to talk about that next week. And so it should bring us encouragement to know that we have a Father who is in heaven and that everything we pray for, He already knows and we can trust Him with what we pray. But then Jesus moves on to focus on the name of God. And this goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Jews didn't refer to God as Yahweh because uh, it was too personal, it was too intimate, um, it was too scary for them. Um, the name goes so much deeper and holds more weight than they were comfortable with. But God's name, Yahweh, is a reflection of who He is, right? Who God is is encompassed in His name. Exodus chapter 3, the burning bush, Moses basically says, well, who are you? Well, when I go to these people and I say, God has sent me, who, who, who are you? And what did he say? I am. I am. Wow. When you understand the Hebrew of that, when you understand what he's saying, here's what he's saying. There's nothing inside your vocabulary that can encompass who I really am. I'm not bound by your time. I'm not bound by your laws. I'm the creator of those things. I am. I've always been. I didn't have a beginning. I always will be. I don't have an end. I am. And so this phrase was something that would bring people to their knees because when you hear the name of God, it reminds you of how big he is and how small you are. I am. There's not a place in your life that I haven't been and don't know about. There's nowhere that you're going to go that I'm not there. I'm everywhere. I'm inside of time. I'm outside of time. I am not bound by anything you're bound by. I'm God. And so he, we understand that he never changes. He doesn't evolve. He doesn't wear out. God is there. 
And so this, what this does, by understanding the name of God, is it places God in a place that's all his own. Where God is, no one else can be. And I'm not talking about place. I'm talking about um, in standing. He, he is on a different level. And we can't grasp it. It's hard for us to understand where he is, but no one or nothing compares with who he is. And his name reflects that. Jesus says, when we go to God in prayer, here's what we are to remember. Hallowed be your name. Now, we've talked about what the name of God means, but what does it mean for his name to be hallowed? Anybody know what that word means? It means, it has a connotation of holiness, but it means to, to make holy. So, so we're called to be holy. God says, be holy for I am holy. That means that we're to be set apart. But who makes us holy? He does. He does. So the word hallowed means to one that makes something or someone holy or to make something or to, to, for, to make one stand in awe of something else. So that when we talk about God being hallowed and his name being hallowed, we stand in awe. We have the utmost respect and reverence for who he is, right? So Jesus isn't telling us that when we pray, we need to remind God of his holiness. That's not what he's saying. He knows how holy he is. But yet when we go before God in prayer and we say, hallowed be your name, we're reminding ourselves of how holy God is. And when's the last time you really thought about who you're approaching in prayer? You know, we, we love that passage in Hebrews where we can go boldly before the throne of grace. And we should. We should. But when's the last time that we thought, I'm going before the God of the universe. And he is hallowed. He, he not only is holy, he's the one that makes everything else holy. And you go before this God. And Jesus is saying, get your mind right. Get your mind focused on exactly who you are going before. Hallowed means to stand alone. God has no equal. And I want you to focus on this. Because God has no equal, no one can bring him into question. Now, this has a huge bearing on our life. And we're going to talk about that uh, in just a second. But you look at Job. This was the problem that Job and his friends had. Um, in Job's pain, he began to regard God as a peer. And that's not all his fault. His, his friends kind of brought him to that place too, where you've done something wrong and God's mad at you, right? And in Job's hurt, he began to call God into question. But remember what God's response was to Job? It wasn't an explanation, right? God didn't explain his actions. He just declared his greatness. He, he says, you have come with many questions, right? Now gird up your loins, because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. But you know what his questions were? Were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? Were you there when I told the ocean it has to stop right here? Have you been in heaven and seen the storehouses of snow that I have laid up there? Where were you, Job, when all this went down? You see, God is declaring who he is to Job. And that's enough. That's the point of the, of the interaction. 
And when he gets done declaring his greatness, you know what Job says? I will cover my mouth because I have said too much. And it wasn't because the answer was satisfactory. It didn't answer all Job's questions. But in light of the greatness of God, the questions didn't really matter that much anymore. And so we've got to be careful that we don't forget that when he stands alone as God, we don't get to question him or bring his actions into question like we would a peer. Now, let me say this. There's a lot of times in our life that we approach God too casually. We approach him like our father. Now, I don't know what kind of relationship you have with your fathers. Um, for some of us, that may be a good thing. For some of us, maybe not, right? A lot of times we can go to our earthly father and we can give it to him, right? Who are you thinking? You know? We've got to be careful. God is our father. He's not our earthly father. He's holy. And hallowed is his name. He loves us, but he's not our peer. So if we're not careful, we begin to call God's actions in our lives into question. We can act like Peter did. I mean, Peter, Peter got a little bit too comfortable with Jesus at one time. And uh, Jesus was saying, I'm going to go to the cross and give my life up as a ransom for many. And Peter says, come here. Listen, you've been doing some great things. you got a good following. Don't get crazy. right? Don't take it that far. And what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. This is one of his best friends that he turns around and calls Satan. Why? Because Peter misunderstood the purpose of Christ. He began to treat Christ as a Peter. And in his humanity, he was still God the Son. And he had a mission and he had a purpose. And Peter was not to stand in the way. And so Peter's uh, lack of judgment caused him to receive a severe rebuke. And church, let me just say this to you. We need to be careful that we don't forget that God is holy. He's not on our level. His ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. Um, He's higher than we are. And he's too great to be questioned by us. But let me say this. There's a little caveat to that. Um, That doesn't mean that we're condemned if we question God. But it goes into the motive of why we question God. Um, There are times, uh, I believe, that we need to question God. We we need to question Him, uh, not for His sake, but for our own. Let Let me explain. There are times when we don't understand. And we can say, God, I don't understand. Will you help me understand? There are times when we, we don't see the reason, and so we question, God, I don't, I don't understand the reason. Help me understand this reason. I believe this is good for a Christian, and I believe God welcomes this because it's in our struggling and our questioning, those types of questions, that we learn to see God more clearly. We begin to see His nature as he graciously unfolds his purposes in our pain. Um, we see God the clearest when we're wrestling with him. And I think that we've got to get to that place to understand his nature more correctly. But in our questioning, we've got to be ready for his answer. I always say this, God is big enough to handle your questions. But you've got to be big enough to handle his answers. Because his answers may not always line up with what you're asking. 
You may not always get what you're looking for. And so that's when it becomes an issue of submission to what he says. And it's an understanding that he is an authority over us. And so this kind of goes back to the motive of our prayer. If we question because we're angry and we didn't get what we want, our motive's tainted. We are placing our desires ahead of the wisdom and sovereignty of God. But if our questioning is meant to help us understand and we pray for understanding, our motives are then to get on the same page as God. Help me get to where you are. I don't understand right now. I'm wrestling with this. But help me get to where I do. That shows a a willingness to submit to the will of God in your life. I don't like where I am, but I want to get to where you want me to be. I mean, there's great benefit in living that type of life. And there's a great benefit in questioning God that. So God is our Father. He loves us like a father. He desires intimacy. He is strong and able. He is in the heavens seated over us and all of our needs. And he is able to answer any prayer and direct his creation any way he chooses. You know why we pray for healing? Because God can heal. And when we pray God heal, we're not just saying, man, we just hope the stars line up correctly and some things go our way. We pray for healing because God can change molecules Because God can kill cancer cells. We believe he can. But man, the the greatest place to be in prayer is saying, but even if you don't, and even if you don't, you're still good. But we do pray for healing because we understand and we acknowledge that he is a healer and he can direct all of his creation to fulfill his purposes. Not only that, but we also know he is Yahweh. He is higher than us. He is on a different level. And he demands the respect and submission that a higher level being demands. And so our prayers must reflect that. And that's where Jesus has us in this first part of the Lord's Prayer. Get your mind on who you're talking to. Don't forget who he is. He loves you greatly. But he is also a great God. Um, Anybody read the Chronicles of Narnia series. The first one, uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, <clears throat> there's this um, uh, dialogue between Susan and uh, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. You remember that part? There's this, there's this line in there that I love. If, you, if you've never read it or haven't read the movies, you're going to think I'm crazy. You're not, because beavers don't talk and all that good stuff. But <laughs> if you've read it, you'll understand where we're coming from. Let me read what happens to you in this. He's, they're talking about Aslan. You know, Aslan's the lion. And Aslan is a picture of Christ. And here's what, what they're saying. They're kind of talking about him. They haven't met him yet. And here, here's what they say. Aslan is a lion. The lion. He is the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good because he's the king, I tell you. I believe that's how we're to approach God in prayer. He is a consuming fire. He can direct all creation with the word of his mouth. It's scary to see the power of God at times. We 
We're not to look at God as safe, but we're to look at him as good, who has our best interests at heart, who may crush us so that he can heal us because he knows that's what we need. And when we don't understand what he's doing and we go to God in prayer, we go to him saying, man, I may not get what I think I ought to get out of this, but I trust him. John Piper has a quote that I love. He says, we, we never question the hand that we've been dealt because we know the dealer. And the dealer <coughs> never deals badly. That's a proper understanding of God. And when we take that approach to God in prayer, we will be at a place where we need to be. We will have the respect, but we'll also have the boldness that we need to approach God. So next week, we're going to focus on uh, the power of God and the position of God in our praying. Um, But here's what I want you to begin to practice. Real simple, some application here. Um, Next time you pray, here's what I'd encourage you to do. To pause. Before you tear into that prayer, man, before you get going, just stop and breathe. Kim, you have helped me with that. Take a deep breath. Just, Just breathe. Clear your mind, and then focus on who you're getting ready to talk to. He's not, he's not a buddy. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother, but he's not your buddy. He's not somebody that you can push around and dictate. He's God, but he loves you, and he wants to hear from you. And when you pause and you get your mind focused on who he is, and you think about the person of God, then you are able to go to him correctly. And you'll have the right reverence, but you'll have the right right honesty too. You'll see him as you should see him. Approach him as you would a lion, a good lion, with respect and humility and vulnerability as a child. It's a balance. Jesus says when you get to this place where you see him as you should, then you'll pray as you should. And that prayer has great effects on our good and also his glory. And so remember this. um, We don't approach God to change God. The purpose of prayer is to not get God on our team. The purpose of prayer is to be changed by him. Remember that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for this time that we've had. And Lord, we... We do um, acknowledge before you this evening that um, we need to be taught how to pray. Lord, I believe it can be one of the simplest yet difficult things that we ever undertake. So Lord, we need your help. So Lord, I just pray right now that in the hearts of all those that call you Lord in this room tonight, that Lord, we begin here with understanding who you are. That you are the sovereign king of the universe. You hold all creation in your hand. Everything that was made was made by the word of your mouth. Lord, there is not a a power that is outside of you. There's not a stronghold that you are not stronger than. You're holy. Your ways are not our ways and your thoughts are not our thoughts. And Lord, you act in certain ways in our lives that we don't understand. And 
Lord, help us to see tonight that approaching you in prayer is not about figuring you out. It's not about tickling your ear. It's not about getting you to do what we want you to do, but it's about submitting our lives to what you're doing in us. So, Lord, we need help with that. We have an enemy who lies to us, Lord. We have hearts that are prone to wander. But Lord, you've given us your Holy Spirit to direct us, to guide us into all truth. You've given us your Son who makes intercession on our behalf. And Father, you have given us new hearts that beat for you. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would help us with this. And, Lord, I'm excited to see what happens in the lives of those who begin to pray as you have taught us to pray. And so, Lord, I just pray that you be glorified in Lord, every aspect of our life of communion with you. And so, Lord, teach us. We love you tonight. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the grace that you have poured out on us through his cross. And Lord, I pray that we would live our lives in such a way that we reflect his greatness and goodness to the world in which we live. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.